0: everybody. This is Heidi St. John. Thank you for finding me at my little corner of the internet. This is Off the Bench with Heidi St. John. Today is Monday, January 4th. It's Mailbox Monday. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. So thanks for tuning in today. I love this day of the week at the podcast. And one could argue that it's my favorite day of the week here because it allows me to just spend the time focusing on the questions that you guys send to me. Before I get started, I know a lot of you are brand new to the podcast. And so I wanna remind you of how you do that, how you get your your message into the queue and how we do it here. You can go to uh, HeidiStJohn.com forward slash mailbox Monday. You can fill out a form right there and or the other way that you can do it is to leave me a voicemail at anchor.fm forward slash Heidi St. John forward slash message. And that's how you do it. So I wanna just encourage you guys, that's the way to do it. And without further ado, I'm gonna jump right in. So the first question comes from a pastor in Pierce County, Washington. Let's play the question and then I'll answer it.
1: Hi Heidi, I am a pastor and citizen out in Pierce County, Washington with my wife and eight kids, so I can appreciate a lot of what you say. I've uh, been a listener since probably March when this whole coronavirus crazy scam broke out and uh you know as as a leader as a pastor As a man, you know, I can't fall for this lockdown nonsense and this masking of the people. We don't mask our kids. I don't wear a mask. They asked me to leave the store, and I do so politely. But my question is, I would love to hear your perspective, Heidi, on what should men be doing? How should men be leading? Uh, how should pastors be leading? We're church planters stepping out of a youth pastor role, and we taught our youth, don't wear the mask, don't fall for it. But would love to hear your perspective on how men should be leading.
0: All right. So this pastor did not leave his name, but I got to tell you, whoever you are, you are one of my new favorite people. I don't think I've ever had a gentleman call me up and ask that question. And I so appreciate your willingness to take a stand on the Rona. And let me tell you what I think, just from a woman's perspective, because my husband and I talk about this all the time. We, there is a terrible shortage and I'm just, i'm i'm not I can't even you're not gonna find like chapter and verse on this from me, <laughs> but there's a terrible shortage of men who are courageous in our country right now, and I often sit back and wonder what would happen if we were actually attacked where would the the men where would they be? You know one of the things that's been so heartbreaking for me to watch, and I was having this conversation with my friend sam uh you know several months ago. And she was saying that one of the most heartbreaking things for her to watch is the same as mine was these just, you know, strong men putting, you know, slapping masks on their faces and, you know, kowtowing to this ridiculous behavior, this these ridiculous mandates. And so I guess, you know, when when I think of what it's going to take in our country, I think it's going to take men who are willing to stand for righteousness, men who are willing to not participate in lies, men who are willing to know and study the constitution to study what, uh, you know, the liberties that have been, that are really being taken away from us in this country. And I think what we've become is a generation of passive people, definitely passive men. And I guess you could blame a lot of women for that, right? Because we have taken aim very directly at men in the last, oh, for goodness sake, several years. And we have decades even, and we have feminized our men and we have said, you know, women, I I have observed with my own eyes, women yelling at men for, opening the doors for them. I've said this many times on the podcast, you know, it's probably been a while. You sound like a relatively new listener, but over the years I've said, I'm, I'm the girl who actually appreciates that. I like to be treated like a lady. I like to be, uh, I love the differences between men and women. We need those differences and God has created us differently for different roles. And so I guess I would like to see more men stand in the gap to protect women and children if I have to go to a grocery store, I take my husband with me half the time now because I know that he'll, I just know that he'll defend me if if it comes to that. And I think women have become so like, you know, anything men can do, we can do better. You know, that? Uh, You know we're, we've asked now to go to the front lines of military battles. We want to be seen as equals to men. And yes, we are equals intellectually, but we are different creatures. Women are different than men. And this idea that we're the same or that, you know, heaven forbid that we're interchangeable or whatever it is, is just a sadness. And a sorrow to me, and so I have really been praying. I'm so glad and thankful that you're a pastor in Pierce County in Washington State, because you know how bad things are here in Washington. Uh, I've been praying for more pastors to step step up and say, "No, this is the role of the church is not to close its doors. The role of the church is not to kowtow to political agendas, even in the name of safety, and start equipping." their congregations with how they can actually be strong and courageous. And so obviously, you know, your first responsibility as a pastor and my first responsibility as a believer, our first responsibility is to proclaim the gospel. But this idea, and it sounds like you agree with me, this idea that, you know, they're mutually exclusive, you can't have, you can only have one or the other is uh, ridiculous to me and a wrong understanding of our role in the in the culture as believers. So uh, Mr. Pastor Friend in Pierce County, Washington, I greatly appreciate the example that you are clearly obviously setting for your congregation. Uh, one of my friends, Jack Kibbs, who's the pastor of Senior Pastor of uh, Calvary Chapel Chino Hills, another man that I greatly respect and appreciate, has also been uh, showing his congregation by example how to stand up uh, in the culture that we find ourselves in. And so, I greatly appreciate men of courage and valor who are willing to stand in the gap and not be silenced uh, out of fear. So uh, I just wanted to say thank you for that. All right, next question comes from Melissa. Melissa, let's listen to your question and then we'll answer it.
1: Hi Heidi, this is Melissa from Iowa. I just listened to podcast um, the podcast for December seventeenth, twenty twenty, and I thoroughly enjoyed listening.
0: Um, I was wondering how we would encourage parents who state that they cannot homeschool due to having to work outside of the home? Um, And also, um, how do we encourage these
1: parents who have experienced this COVID shutdown um, and their children coming home from public school and having to do public school on the computer? It's created quite the nightmare for these parents. And many of
0: them are convinced that homeschooling is what they have been experiencing with public school online. How can we encourage these parents? All right, Melissa, this is a fantastic question. How do we encourage parents when they say that they can't homeschool because of uh, they have to have two jobs? So I've been talking about this for a long time at the show, and some of some people have gotten mad at me for it. But I'm actually I'm kind of going to double down on it today because. I believe that the spiritual and mental well-being of your children is more important than whether or not you can have a big house or whether or not you drive a new car or whether or not you have a fancy cell phone or whatever it is. There are very few people, I mean, it's different in the Rona right now, but there are very few people in the United States and in most countries, actually, that can't get a job and afford the basic necessities without two people working. And most of the time, when I meet these moms who say, Well, we just can't do it, my husband has to work and I have to work. And I go to their houses and I'm like, For goodness sake, I mean, you know, you're living in the fanciest, swankiest house and your kids are, you know, your kids have the best clothes and the best shoes. And I'm, I just, you know, you don't need that stuff. And we have been conditioned in this nation. And I think in you know, in many parts of the world to believe that we have to have, you know, a savings account, we have to have all of these things. We have to have the nicest cars, we have to live in a big house. We don't need those things. And for many years, when my husband and I were homeschooling our kids and we did it, you know, I told you with me working nights was a lot of it. But also there was a long, long time when I didn't work, and then I sold Tupperware, and then I did, I mean, all kinds of things to sort of try to bring in income. In the years that we were having babies and raising our children in these very challenging economic times. And there are many years we just had one car. And one year in particular, we still laugh about it that my husband had a beater of a truck that was given to us. And when I say beater, I'm not joking. Like we named it. it was He needed to name that truck. And we laugh about it now. One of the cars that we bought had a hole in the bottom of it and it rained so much in the Pacific Northwest. We ended up being really thankful for that hole because the rain that was leaking in through the car drained out through the bottom of the car, through the hole. And we were like, thank you, Lord, that there's a hole in the bottom of our car. <laughs> so those were years that were very lean financially, but they were very rich spiritually. And they were formative years for our children. And they were precious years in our marriage. And I wouldn't trade them for anything. I I wouldn't trade them for anything. And so I'm always telling parents, get yourself out of debt. That should be the first thing that you do. And then Think about what you can do. If you, if it means you've got to move to a less desirable part of town, move. These are your children. And I feel like we, we've somehow along the line, we've missed it. And so when people say to me, well, we can't do it because of work, I just say, no, you don't want to do it. And that's legitimately how I feel. I know that there are like single moms and there are divorce situations. I'm not talking about those. I understand there are exceptions to every scenario. I'm saying as a general rule, I think this is the issue. And then how do we encourage parents who are doing, you know, the the pandemic schooling, this online monstrosity catastrophe that people think is homeschooling. It's not homeschooling. Homeschooling means that parents are in charge of education. Uh, Pandemic schooling means that Teachers are in charge of education and they're telling parents what to do. In many cases, they're saying, we don't want you to listen to what's going on. We don't want you to talk about it, blah, 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 blah. And it's, um, frankly, it's, it's giving homeschooling a bad rap because it's not homeschooling. Homeschooling means, doesn't mean that the parents do everything. Homeschooling means that the parents are in the driver's seat of their child's education. And it has to be important to you. It just has to be important. And so that's how I say it. Uh, if you guys can catch up with what we're doing at the Friendly Planet Homeschool Resource Center, I'm gonna encourage you to do it. We saw a voicemail that came through here from a mom who said she has a space in her bookstore. I really wanna hear from you. I'm gonna have somebody reach out to you. Uh, you guys, we have got to start thinking outside the box. For, for sure, outside the government education box. It is literally killing our kids. I can't say it any stronger. It's killing our kids, and if parents don't care that they're losing their kids in record numbers, I don't actually know what to do about that. I I don't know, except for to say we need to pray, we need to be uh, exemplary in our commitment to saying whatever it takes. We're gonna we are gonna pass on the truth of God's word to our children. We're not gonna let the public school steal our children. We're just not gonna do it. And I know there's still people who listen to my show, not very many, because most of them quit, but a lot of people who listen to the show say, you know, Heidi, stop demonizing the public school. I'm not trying to demonize the good teachers that are in the school, but the school is demonic in nature. And so I don't know how to not demonize it because they're literally teaching our children that their gender is malleable, that God does not exist, that they, that, they, uh, that they came from some primordial ooze somewhere or some big bang somewhere, totally out of step and out of sync with what God says is reality. And when you move outside of the world as God made it out of God's reality, you've basically moved out of reality and now you're in your own reality. The Bible talks about what happens to us when we become wise in our own eyes. And this is what an entire system is literally set up to do. And it is devastating for children. And I cannot stress it enough. And I know some of you are upset with me about it, but that is the truth. And I do believe that those people who have been like, oh, that Heidi St. John, she's a lunatic. She's an education fanatic. You know, she's a fundamentalist or whoever, somebody called me a fundy the other day, whatever, I think you guys are gonna look back. If you don't listen, I think you're gonna look back and weep at your, uh, weep at your indifference. Because our children's lives, their their mental well-being is literally hanging in the balance. And so, uh, you know, my question is, I don't soft-step this anymore. I just don't think we have time. Third question comes from Noelle. And she's asking a question I think a lot of you are asking. Let's listen to Noelle's question.
1: Hi, Heidi. This is Noelle. I'm a homeschool mama to six. And I stumbled across your podcast in the spring of 2020 and have just really appreciated listening to it. It's been really encouraging to me. Um, I have a question today about Phil Vischer. Um, our family owns a lot of his products and have listened to his advice on Bible teaching. But I'm uh realizing now that I don't agree with uh several of his beliefs, namely that how we vote on abortion doesn't matter. And uh, I believe in the literal six days of creation, which he does not. How would you suggest I go about telling my kids that the guy we've put on our TV and we all love and laugh with is not the best source for truth anymore? Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. So,
0: Noel, here's the thing. Uh, Wow. Right. So Phil Vischer is a, I don't know what you call him. Uh, He's a a leftist, a liberal, I don't know. Uh, I'd put him in the same category as some of these other teachers that have come out. You know, I'm a girl, I love VeggieTales. I love Phil Vischer's humor. I think he's brilliant. Uh, I'm not buying his stuff anymore. And we don't subscribe to anything he does anymore because I know now that everything he does is gonna be tainted from here on forward because I don't know how it can't be. But if you're talking about what he's done in the past, I I still really like his stuff and I wouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I think it's important to tell I'm actually thankful. I, I'm thankful for some of these leaders, even though their positions are horrifying to me. I'm thankful that they're coming out and being honest about how they think. Because otherwise we wouldn't know. Like we'd have an we'd have an inkling of an idea. We'd think, well, we think they might boy, that was weird. You know, he said that, that seemed kind of like a sideways, you know, kind of a sideways thing to say. We think maybe he said this and maybe he said that, but now we know for sure. And so to me, I think that there's a good, uh, a good side to this, I guess, a silver lining on it. Um, If you, you know, if you would say it's a silver lining, Um, some of these people I'm super disappointed with. Uh, The Gospel Coalition, what in the world? Uh, the Gospel Coalition. It's it's. I mean, I probably will. I, in fact, I haven't been reading anything from the Gospel Coalition because I just simply cannot believe the direction that they are going. I I'm. Uh, you guys are always sending me stuff from them, and uh, and I frankly, um, you know, Virginia from Naples, she sent this to me, and uh, I'm, I, you know, I wasn't surprised because I'm not surprised. So you know, we talked about the vaccine and because of my faith in Jesus, I'll take a vaccine and all of the spiritual manipulation that's happening. And these guys are using God's word in a reckless manner. And I don't understand it. And I've, I've never really, I mean, there are some things that I thought, Ooh, I'm not really sure. Um, another one of you sent in, I guess I'll, well, maybe I'll just read both the articles to you. Uh, Um, Anna from Texas, who said, thank you for your convictions. Um, Our pastor posted parts one and two from Al Mohler's article. He included a few of his own corrections and clarifications, specifically that there is no way to prove aborted fetal tissue was used in the COVID vaccination. And the argument of masks in church services is loving for the common good. Our pastor did not specify his stance, but it would seem from the tenor of the article that he is advocating that most Christians get the vaccine. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I do question the safety, efficacy, and moral grounds of certain vaccinations. You've made your position about the COVID vaccine clear, but I'm worried about the coercion from states and other entities, as well as moral pressure by church leaders in the name of the common good and, quote, Christian love. How would you interpret your pastor posting this article? Because I'm questioning the motives of mine. So she's referring to an article that I'll link back to in the show notes today uh, that Al Moeller wrote basically a series of them. And he's basically saying, you know, you can't prove that these are, f- that, that the tissues in vaccines are from aborted, uh, babies. And he goes on to say, you know, um, well, let me read something to you. There are two huge moral issues here for Christians. The first has to do with abortion. We're talking about vaccines and, Uh, as we are looking at many vaccines and furthermore, anything to do with a continuation of so-called immortal cell lines, which they came from, he said a a fetus, which they couldn't prove was aborted. I beg to differ, Mr. Mueller. I read an article on MS, uh, I think it was MSNBC and, you know, no friend of, you know, Christians or whatever, they don't care about uh, vaccines. And they said that the use of aborted fetus cell lines in vaccine development is well documented. Well documented. So nobody's actually, I don't actually know why uh, Why Al Moeller is trying to say, well, we just don't know if they're aborted babies. Yes, you do. The CDC uh, on December 5th of 2019 admitted that certain vaccines contain, quote, aborted human fetal cells. They said they were elective uh, elective terminations. Another, It's a polite way of saying an abortion. And so for Mr. Moeller to say, well, we just don't know. Uh, he said that the fact is that many of these go back to tissue taken from aborted fetuses. And there is some involvement in most of the major COVID-19 vaccines in the use of uh, these fetal cell lines. Most importantly, what is known as HEK293, And the original cells for that cell line were taken from tissues that were were the result of an abortion of a child back in the Netherlands in the 1960s. The cell line was developed about 72. So he's saying that they they took what they call an immortal cell line. So they're not aborting babies over and over and over and over again to get these cell lines. They basically just aborted a couple of them and then that cell line has been replicated, replicated, replicated. Uh, That first cell line developed in about 1972. The second issue, doesn't have so much to do with abortion, but the tissue was taken without knowledge, without consent, and had been used throughout medical history. The most important of these lines was the so-called Hela line that goes back to 1951. So then he goes on to say these were taken from poor African-American women who were suffering from terminal cancer. Uh, there's so many things that have to do with this. You know, Al Mueller basically goes on to say, go ahead and get the vaccine. Like he, he, he makes a huge big case for why he thinks, um, you know, the, there's a principle of Christians thinking about the issue of vaccines as the common good, the love of your neighbor comes down to the fact that Christians don't think about the third person argument or the third party argument. And I guess I'm, I just fundamentally disagree. I fundamentally disagree. All these Christians who are telling me, you know, operation warp speed seems like a good idea to. to Uh, them. Doesn't seem like a good idea to me. Al Mohler, you know, totally in cahoots with the gospel coalition and these guys who, you know, we don't want to throw out science because we're Christians. We're not throwing out science. I totally believe in science. I just think it's junk science. And I don't like it that people are telling me, well, that, yes, it has aborted fetal cells in it, but it was from a long time ago. Really? If, I did not know years and years ago when I was giving my kids vaccines that there were any kind of aborted fetal tissue in our vaccines. And as long as vaccines are tied to abortions, Christians need to be thinking real hard about it. Christians need to have exemptions, in fact. I read an article, and I'll link back to it uh, also in the show notes today, by Gifford Groblin, or Groblin. Uh, he said in recent years, r- religious exemptions from vaccination mandates have been eliminated. Began in 2015 in California and then Maine followed suit, New York and Washington. Yay, where I live. Although protecting ourselves and others with vaccinations seems like a reasonable and Christian thing to do, there remains a significant reason to retain religious or conscientious exemptions. Several vaccinations use cell lines derived from aborted fetal tissue. Uh so are they are they um, aborting babies you know at at rep, record rates so that they can you know come up with vaccines? No. But the fact that they are using and have used aborted fetal tissue in the vaccine is very it's it's upsetting or it should be. 19 fetuses. 19 fetuses were used to develop cell lines uh from WI1 through WI25 Did you guys did you guys know this Uh while mothers may not have had vaccines in mind when choosing abortion this is what this is that article Abortionists and researchers had established relationships for this purpose Researcher Leonard Hayflick sought out aborted human fetal tissue because he reasoned it would be less likely than other tissues to be contaminated by viruses. Well, that's true because when you uh, murder a little baby in its mother's womb, it should be the safest, most virus-free place in the world. So yes, let's get the aborted babies and make vi- and make vaccines from that. He also showed that fetal cell lines have the advantages of numerous subcultifications and susceptibility to viruses, making them ideal for producing vaccines in mass. Then he goes on to talk about the 19 fetuses that were used to develop these, these lines. And after they were lost, when Hayflick's lab freezer failed, he acquired more aborted baby tissue from a colleague in Sweden. And while parents are seeking abortions, are not seeking abortions to populate cell lines for vaccine manufacturers, researchers and abortionists recognize the benefit of fetal tissue for vaccine development. You guys know that Planned Parenthood is harvesting and selling uh, body parts from aborted babies, right? Now, advocates are gonna say, including some of these the Christians, and I think this is the argument of the Gospel Coalition, uh, that uh, there's, they don't need abortions anymore because new cell lines have been derived from the aborted fetal tissue and they've continued to be developed. Researchers are concerned that cell reproduction in these strains will eventually become non-viable or at least more difficult to access. They're also motivated to discover increased duplication rates, higher limits to duplication and improved suitability for viral propagation. They developed cell lines, including the IMR-90 and 91 and a whole bunch of other ones from aborted fetuses with the intent of supplementing or replacing WI-38 and MRC-5 for vaccine development. So there is implicit abortion uh, in these vaccines. It's absolutely there. And so, I'm, I don't know, you guys, I'm, tr- I'm troubled by that. I'm troubled by it. Demand for these vaccines gives implicit abortion approval for fetal tissue research. Promoting products of abortion encourages the partnership between abortion providers and medical researchers, as well as the social acceptance of this partnership. For example, Bill Clinton justified federal funding for fetal tissue research by the success of these vaccines, while George Bush said, we don't end some lives for the medical benefit of others. But then he went on and allowed federal funding for research on existing stem cell lines. So there's all kinds of, you know, I mean, I've, you know, the Trump administration recently ended government funding on most fetal tissue research. The policy doesn't change. Uh, it, the policy change does nothing rather to alter the legality of fetal tissue research. These are coming from aborted babies. Uh, this is my understanding. And if I'm wrong, you guys, uh, let me know. So when people ask me, you know, what do I think about Al Mohler? What do I think about the Gospel Coalition? What do I think about, uh, you know, these Christians? And there was another guy that came out the other day and I was like, who who do you you think that you are? We better start having an honest conversation about what's going on. On December 3rd, the Gospel Coalition posted an article called, Are Masks a Conscience Issue? <laughs> I almost, I almost had to laugh. I almost had to laugh. This is how it starts. Churches today are faced with challenges when considering their response to COVID-19. It can sometimes feel like we're walking on a dimly lit sidewalk on a winter night. Yeah, a dimly lit sidewalk that's got ice underneath the snow on a dimly lit winter night with a polar bear chasing you. But, But I didn't write that, that's what I would have said. We trust ourselves walking as usual, but then we step on a block ice. How many times have our pastors and church members picked themselves up, took a deep breath and said, well, I didn't see that coming. But guess what? It's not just pastors. It's everybody. And so he says, well, is this an issue? Is this a conscience thing? And then he goes on to say, well, what is the conscience? And then he goes on to talk about what the conscience is not. I I just, the whole thing. I mean, I'll link back to it if you guys want to listen, read the Gospel Coalition. But I, frankly, Heidi St. John feels a little on the done side with the Gospel Coalition. And so... The COVID vaccine, uh, I, I do think they've made a pretty good case for they're not just, you know, aborting babies all willy nilly, but this idea that somehow we can scoot away from the fact that uh, absolutely these babies are being used to develop vaccines and Lord only knows what else. An abortion happening. I, I, I don't understand why Al Moeller is not just up in arms about, you know, how about we stop abortion? and find a different way to develop medicine and life-saving medicines and how about you stop manipulating people who say hey the virus has a 99.9% survival rate and masks actually make you sick and there are a whole lot of doctors who would say that and agree with me but oh no no we're going to use we're going to use the bible to spiritually manipulate you guys something's wrong with that i don't like it i don't like it so that's just me And uh, we all have to make our own choices, but I do think, boy, these conversations are really important. All right, I'm gonna let you guys go. I'm out of time. I'm actually over time. But I wanna thank you guys again for listening to the podcast. Uh, You guys encourage us every single day. We're so thankful for you and thankful for the way that you have been uh, encouraging us in the middle of the Rona. Thank you. (laughs) In the middle of the Rona, you guys have been a huge encouragement. Thank you to Marianne from Olala, Washington. Emily in Madison Lake, Minnesota. Thank you so much, Emily. You are a treasure. Thank you so much. Tracy from Malvern, Pennsylvania. You guys, um, your support of this ministry is making a difference. It really is. And we want to say thank you. If you guys would like to give to the ministry, we'd love it if you do that. Remember that the new Bible study at MSI starts today. Starts today. So if you're not a member already, you can become a member with us at Momstrong International. And uh, I really want to encourage you to join me for 2021. We're kicking off our January Bible study today, and there's a couple of memberships that you can take advantage of. You can either do the daily scripture writing challenge or the monthly Bible study, which includes online live teaching from yours truly. So come dive into the word with us at Momstrong International. You guys, hang in there. This is tough. But there is joy coming and we're learning right now to be discerning. We're learning to walk in wisdom and wisdom is found in God's word. And I will find you tomorrow at the intersection of faith and culture. Have a great day, everybody. And I'll see you back here tomorrow. For more encouragement, visit me online at thebusymom.com.